0: Welcome to The Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. A quick shout out to some of our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper, although of course now you got to do takeout, and they do takeout, so give Gateway a shout about their takeout options. They've also got a catering service, which of course is also takeout. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret. You can now hear their concerts live streamed every Wednesday night, every Saturday night on the, on the uh, Noche website. Pretty fun time actually. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant, where 90% of the food served comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. And again, like other restaurants, Hawk, Hawk is continuing to provide takeout service. Again, welcome to the program, folks. Great to have you here today. Later in the show, Uh, Dr. Charles Goldman joining us. We're going to talk about Dr. Fauci and is he villain or hero? Depends on who you talk to, right? We'll also talk with uh, Dr. Kim Holding. But first, I want to welcome to the program Allison Van Pelt. She is the Associate Planner at uh, Des Moines Metropolitan Planning Organization. Allison, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks for having me, Ed.
0: So um, we have seen, very dramatically here in Des Moines, as in many parts of the country, a, a significant, measurable you know, in some cases, very traumatic increase in rainfall. And the big one that hit Des Moines was, I believe, June 30th, about two years ago, when, what, 10 inches fell in less than an hour, maybe two hours. I can't remember. It was really fast, really hard, and it literally overwhelmed the storm sewer system. And so you and others have been rising to the challenge. What does that look yes. like? I mean, that's um, that's got to be a big burden on your plate.
1: Yeah, it is. Um <clears throat>
2: With the June 30th of 2018 event, there was a lot of interest in how we can get more stormwater management spread across the city. Um, Obviously, the cities are trying to do their part with upgrading their sewer systems and things like that, but they only own a small fraction of the land and they can only manage that land um, in their ways. And so we've been finding... The empowering residents um, to manage stormwater on their own lawns is a great way to do that and so when we got this grant to do this program we worked with the city staff to instead of reinventing the wheels come up with something that betters their cost share programs and so we created the rank
0: campaign so how do you work with individual landowners that seems uh potentially really challenging
2: it can be um, especially since we have 19 different cities across our Des Moines metro area um, and then every individual landowner has a different interest. Luckily the stormwater management best practices um, and toolkit has something pretty much for everyone. The people that don't want to do something very intensive could do a rain barrel um, and just hold some water for a little while. You can get a little bit more intensive with some soil quality restoration and then People are finding rain gardens and other more intensive practices are
1: working on their
0: lawns. It well, just let's take those one at a time. That's uh, rain barrels. Uh, what do you What do you do specifically to help people design or how How does that work? They get some kind of a assistance with the rain barrel.
2: Sure. So many of the cities around the metro actually hold rain barrel workshops um, to help people put together their own rain barrel, so then they understand how it functions. You can also just buy a rain barrel, um, a True Value or a Home Depot and things
0: like that. Or install it yourself. Or or maybe a locally owned business. Sure. (laughs) Um,
2: Yeah, most definitely. Um, But really, each city um, in their different ways has cost share programs that help pay for those things. Um, So some cities pay for 50% of a rain barrel um, and help offset that cost because sometimes we don't have an extra $100 laying around.
0: Right. What does Des Moines do?
2: Um, Des Moines specifically, uh, they work, they do rain barrels, they do rain barrel workshops, they do the whole gambit from soil quality restoration down into rain gardens and things like that. So they, theirs is quite widespread.
0: So tell me about, uh, about uh, soil restoration. What does that look like?
2: So, soil quality restoration is a pretty interesting practice. At this point, the urban landscape and most uh, regular residential lawns shed most of the water off instead of infiltrating in like the natural prairie would do. Um, And so, instead of having that water sink into your lawn, it's usually running off into the street, into the sewer pipes and things like that. And so, Mm -hmm. soil quality restoration tries to build that sponge back up into um, the lawn. And so... Uh, It's a pretty cool process. One, um, you aerate the soil with a deep tine aerator. Um, So we see a lot of those little plugs, especially in the summer, or in the spring and summer, around in the lawns. These are going to be about twice that size, about four inches long, um, to really get down into the soil. And then they spread compost on top. And over time, that compost will start settling in, um, and the grass will grow above it, and that organic profile in the soil. Hmm.
1: Yeah bunches
2: uh, that, that, up and then you get you get more bang for your buck as far yeah, as storing water goes
0: i can see that so what what about uh, encouraging people to do something other than just planting monoculture grass uh prairie plantings uh, uh vegetable beds sure. uh, flower gardens uh, those also can manage a uh, stormwater runoff maybe at even a more effective way than 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 a, a lawn in some cases
2: sure um that's definitely an option some people sway away from that uh America loves their green lawn Um, and so with social change a lot of things are incremental and so if we can get people to just add more um, organic matter to their soil profile and their basic lawn that's great if they want to go to those more intensive steps and um, have a prairie on their on their own property
3: then we're encouraging that as well.
0: So I know that uh, that uh, those who determine city budgets and uh, and governmental operation budgets for example an MPO want to know numbers, want to know how this pans out. What kind of uh, data do you have to suggest that these changes are making a difference?
2: Sure. Um, So actually we, the Polk Soil and Water Conservation District has been working hard in the Easter Lake watershed, um, which is on the southeast side of Des Moines, and using that as a great example of how a neighborhood can bring down their um, stormwater discharge. So when I'm sorry, I forget the exact number of places that actually did it, but they have seen a reduction in stormwater discharge in that neighborhood with a lot of people implementing, especially soil clutter restoration, but the other practices as well, as much as 38% less. Um, Easter Lake Lake has been a really great example of how if they all work together um, as one unit in their little watershed, you can manage that water and then
0: help the lake become healthier as well. And that saves some money as well because... uh many of us remember that not too long ago, the, the dredging of Easter Lake was a pretty extensive uh, undertaking. There yeah. had to be a pretty expensive undertaking as well. And I imagine that if you're cutting uh, runoff into the lake by what, 38%, you're going to reduce the need to dredge that uh, in the future. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, again, again, part of the problem too is, uh, is, is the, uh, is the not just the risk to property, but to the risk to lives. We had one, one man, actually a radio, a radio personality who died tragically in the uh, flood of, tw- of 20, of uh, 2018, uh, June 30th. And so, um, and there were other people who had near death experiences as they suddenly found themselves in cars that were underwater. I mean, just instantly. So, uh, yeah, is it, is it possible that we can get people to be more concerned about the importance of these improvements based on the Threat not just to their property, but to their very lives.
2: It it's possible. Uh, That's not a route that necessarily the rain campaign has been taking, but it is something to consider. A lot of these climate threats are multiple. They're they're threat multipliers. Um, And so, if you have a flash flood, we saw structural fires. We saw loss of lives. We saw infrastructure um, just taken down. Roads were closed. Uh, Those are emergency routes. So, a lot of these things that happen are actually multiplying the threats that are out there.
0: And what's the prognosis for the, the threat continuing to get worse as we move forward in the in the new climate era?
2: You know, uh, I am not a climatologist, but I would say that June 30th, um, 2018, was an epic event, and it's, it
0: definitely could happen again. And we've, had, um, and- we've had quite a few epic events in the past uh, three two you know, two and a half decades, I guess. Uh, of course, remembering 1993, the flood of 1993 that rendered Des Moines without any drinking water or or running water at all rather for what two or three weeks. And that was, um, that was billed as a 500 year flood. And then 15 years later we had our second 500 year flood. And I'm thinking at that point, maybe we need to redefine 500 year flood. Uh, and then of course in 20, that was, that was 2008, the same year that Cedar Rapids was, um, I mean, what, 20% of all the structures in Cedar Rapids were damaged or destroyed by water. And then in 2010, we had a near, you know, a near flooding experience here as well. So, you know, these are happening a lot more often. And the concern, I think, with climate change is that that frequency is going to get even more, uh, more pronounced. And so, yeah, there. some of what you're describing is it's, uh, it's all really, really good. But at some point, don't we need even bigger initiatives, for example, to not build in the floodplain anymore? Because that's one problem that I see elsewhere in the country as well. But in Des Moines, we have this huge undertaking on the south side of downtown where massive infrastructure is being, laid, being built uh, at huge cost, I'm assuming, and that I, I think is inevitably, and maybe not too far in the future, is going to see a flood.
2: Sure. And, you know, a lot of those places are taking that into account when they're building. Um, on the other side, so yes, the south side of downtown um, has had more Build up, but then in cities like Clive and even in Des Moines, uh, up near the Sheridan Gardens, after the 2018 flood, there was large buyouts in the Sheridan Gardens area, um, up near Euclid and Hubble. And so that's all going to be turned back into Greenway. And so reclaiming those um, floodplains is imperative. Um, and a lot of cities are well aware of that. Um, and so they've been taking strides like buffer ordinances, how close you can build to a stream and understanding the ebbs and flows of those things. So as more data comes out and as more progress gets made, we're taking baby steps in the right direction. And and certainly
0: that's the case with uh, Easter Lake. Uh, Sorry, not Easter Lake, um, Four Mile Creek. Sure,
2: yeah, Four Mile Creek was inundated. Um, Yeah, 500-year flood, most definitely. Um, And a lot of it, especially with the 2018 event, uh, a lot of the flooding happened outside of floodplains. So a lot of people that thought that I don't live near a creek, that won't happen to me, found that their road then became a river. And so then they have those same um, issues on their own property. And so that's why we're dealing with the, soil, with the rain campaign, with the soil quality restoration. We're trying to get people engaged who don't necessarily live near the river. Um, it can happen anywhere. We have compact soils all across the metro. Um, and with the growth of the metro, um, the newer developments also are having these issues. So let's Get ahead of the curve um, when we're making these decisions, um, and empower the people to understand what stormwater is. It's not a very sexy issue,
0: but it is important to right. take into account. So, and that's a good point. It's it's not just climate change that's uh, that's affecting the uh, the picture here, but but uh, but urban growth as well. And you've got a lot of urban growth on on rural right. ground that uh, historically has been, you know, a good a good sink for rainfall. Uh, you know, a a sponge and so to speak, and now, and now you've got uh, rooftops and roads and driveways and other services that are just going to send that down. Well, to four mile Creek, in some cases, if it's north north of, uh, north of Des Moines. And so uh, is there, is there a point, is, is, is the conversation ever going to come up that says, Hey, well, maybe, maybe we shouldn't be, maybe we should not grow as much outward and start focusing more on further developing what we have inside existing urban, urban boundaries.
2: Sure. Um, that happens all across the nation, and it is happening here in the metro. Um, Des Moines itself is really looking at infill development um, and how they can utilize some of those spaces that kind of have gone dormant um, throughout the city and how they can better utilize that with mixed-use development, so adding residential and commercial all-in-one space. So then it's a little bit more lockable, um, which would lead to less greenhouse gas emissions. It's just a little bit better for everybody and it's a better
0: utilization of the space overall yeah but that's that's an easier sell for a city like des moines or for the smaller sub the older suburbs that are you know that don't have a lot of room to sprawl but when you're talking to a waukee west des moines ankeny uh, those cities are just eager to gobble up as much new farm, farm ground as possible it seems or is the conversation beginning to resonate with them as well
2: it is um, I think it is, and it might not necessarily be about the dense development, but they do understand what soil and what a watershed, what those have impacts on within their community. Um, Walnut Creek Watershed Management Authority is a very active group. Um, Waukee, uh, Windsor Heights, West Des Moines, Des Moines—all the players are there, and they understand the implications that their growth has. Um, new FEMA maps have come out. They've done been doing some more projections and things like that to help understand if we grow in these patterns, how do we need to manage our water? Um, and so you'll see more cities have stormwater management plans come out, um, which wasn't necessarily a norm uh, a couple of years ago, um, but they're understanding that when they have this growth, how can we mitigate these issues um, while still letting people have the land and the, the lifestyle that they at this point choose. One last
0: question, Allison, in the minute or so we have left here. Uh, the state government, state legislature, the governor, uh, have they been an ally or just kind of a bystander in this conversation? So the Iowa
2: DNR actually, through the U.S. EPA, um, funded the rain campaign um, and helped us uh, get this material ready to go. Um, we are um, at this point in our second round of funding with them. They liked what we did. Um, they like our messages. We used the public art keys to help sell this stuff. Um, and get the public more engaged and in awe of some things that they could do. Um, and so the Iowa DNR has been a great ally so far. Um, they're well aware of the work. They encourage us to do it. And it's not just in the Des Moines, they're doing it. There's another um, piece going on okay. over in the Iowa City area as well. Good.
0: Well, that's good to know. Hey, Allison, I really appreciate you joining us. Uh, folks, we've been talking with Allison Vinpelt. Pelt. She's an associate planner at the Des Moines Metropolitan Planning Organization. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, so. Al. All right. When we come back from a short break, folks, Dr. Charles Goldman is going to join us, and we're going to talk about another doctor, Dr. Anthony Fauci, here on the Fallon Forum. Gayway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the lively cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
3: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location and stylish ambiance, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, Scott Smith, Tina haas Findlay, and Nick Leo. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. If you haven't been to Noche, you haven't experienced the fullness of Des Moines' cultural revival. If you have, we're sure you'll be back. Noche, Located on Walnut Street, just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for joining us today, folks. A quick shout out to some of our local business partners in the Des Moines Metro. Thanks to Ritual Cafe. Located on 13th Street in downtown Des Moines, fair trade coffee, fair trade tea, and an all-vegetarian menu. And that menu is still available as takeout. That's Ritual Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating creatures great and small for over 30 years. That's Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, welcome back to the program again. And uh, joining me in this, uh, this uh, segment of our conversation is Dr. Charles Goldman. And uh, we've been talking with Charles about the coronavirus. Um I'd like to talk with you, Charles, about how another doctor is uh, being regarded by some of the establishment powers. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who some seem to regard as a hero and uh, a spokesperson of truth in this um, evolving Corona crisis. But uh, there are those in the Trump administration and among the Trumpsters followers who have demonized him. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, yeah,
4: it, 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 it's. A, it's. Really, a sad commentary on this is exactly what we don't need, you know, right now. Um, the only way that we're going to successfully uh, deal with the oncoming, you know, uh, crisis here and, and the ongoing crisis in places like New York City, New Orleans, Washington State, and soon to be Florida, is is by communal action. And instead. Um, as exemplified by the uh, Five O'Clock Follies, the uh, various briefings by the uh, president and assorted members of the uh, Coronavirus Task Force, um, we're being treated to uh, just ongoing partisanship. So Dr. Fauci, um, on one of the briefings, which I didn't actually see because I can only watch so much of the (laughs) president. Wait, I thought Um, thought you were
0: able to watch Fox News for an entire week. Yeah, that's Surely you can endure one Trump briefing per day.
4: Well, (laughs) yeah, I can only endure them, you know, every two, three days. But at one of the briefings, evidently, uh, Dr. Fauci, after uh, President Trump started talking about the deep state again, um, put his hands in his head and made some sort of expression that was interpreted by uh, Trump supporters as, as dismissive and denigrating of the president, and then he, he became the uh, the object of, of various uh, hashtags, etc., um, and you know right wing hosts saying that the that Fauci is um, undermining the president, and he is not. He's just another part of the, the problem. He's another left winger, um, and. You know the usual QAnon and a whole bunch of these groups uh, took him to task. So let me you ask know, you, do you: Do you
0: think do you think uh, did that um, did that uh, that those expressions of dissatisfaction with Fauci emanate from Trump himself, someone else in the administration, or is it just kind of a grassroots uprising among Trump uh, supporters? Um, it's hard to
4: say. I uh, it seems as though you know if you listen to the president. One day it sounds as though you know that he's. It's all he's going to. He's going to navigate this by feel. You know, he feels like there's going to be less cases. Oh, he feels so, like there's going to be less deaths. That's reassuring. Yeah, and then you know, because he made the statement about well, we're going to open up the country by Easter, which would have been a, a, a unmitigated disaster. He backed off that. He's backed off that. Uh, backed off that and now they pushed it out thirty days, and and so it sounds as though there are people within his his group, although they. Most of them engage in, in, in. You know, the group think of the Sun King that he is. Um, that did finally say to him, "Look, you know, you have to listen to, to Fauci and and you know the Dr. Birx, who is much more, uh, you know, uh, complimentary uh, to Trump. Um, but I think in the background she also, you know, they're they they're, they're giving you the reality and. I think, as a physician, you know, and then it's it's just like with the military. When the military is in, in in a fight, you know, it's always about the the first responders. It's about our military. About everyone supports them. But the reality is that I, I'm tiring of both sides, you know, and I'm tiring of these these briefings turning into, well, didn't you know six weeks before this? All right, we know that already. So when you, know? you say and, so when you
0: say you're tired of both sides, you mean. Trump and then I'm, the media.
4: I'm, I'm tired of the media. Okay. You know, for instance, yesterday, the president, you know, talked about, well, maybe there's going to be 100,000 deaths, okay, and that'll be a good result. Well, the reason that's a ludicrous statement is because the president is inarticulate, is unable to, to do anything that's not literal, and there's no context, okay? The context for 100,000 deaths is, first of all, you say, this is, this is a disaster, Admit it. You know, this is horrible.
0: One death would be too much. Show some empathy. Okay, so that's that, just, that's a criticism of uh, President Trump. Well, correct, But, 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 but I'm why, why, it, why is the media... Well, shouldn't the media call him out on that? To what purpose? Well, to point out that he's uh, providing no context, that he's confusing people, okay, that so he's then taking then a the media story from one press conference to the Then why doesn't the media
4: say to the president, well, President Trump, I, I, I would like... Just ask you a question instead of you know. Let's talk about why you didn't do anything six weeks before we knew about this. Um, maybe the media should ask the question: Well, President Trump, uh, you know, almost 100,000 people die every year in this country of cardiac disease. So, you know, could you give us? Could you make the American people understand that yes, it is a time of fear, is, you know, but that these are things we accept this level of death from things that are knowable.
0: And right, but that that, that seems uh. Those things aren't contagious.
4: Well, that's true. But by the, by the same token, there's millions of people in this country walking around with cardiac disease.
0: Right. But what, I and I it's, think far, it's very
4: far, difficult to understand. I, I understand what you're saying, but there's no context here. There's no context. For instance, they had on the news the other night that um, you know, they talked about the three COVID deaths in, in Iowa, and then they followed it on Saturday with the surveillance, the flu surveillance um, for that week, and 20 people had died from the flu. So I'm not I'm not making an equivalency here. Obviously, this is a much more lethal virus than the flu. But the point is that Americans are not used to this kind of potential you know, for, like we're seeing in New York, uh, what was it, 40, 50, something, yeah, maybe even more than 100 people died in one day in New York.
0: Yeah. But, but you know, I, mean, and, I mean, Americans, by and large, are responding. I mean, here, even in Iowa, where we've only seen only, what, 300 cases? We've had, what, not four deaths? Uh, we're, we're still right. seeing a, a pretty universal response to uh, physical distancing. I mean, I, I, I'll walk down the sidewalk and I notice people up ahead, they'll move to the other side of the sidewalk or the other side of the street you just All see right, people you, naturally inclined. I, I was in the kitchen but you the other have day. other
4: places. you have other places like Florida, where they still haven't closed the beaches. You know, you have places like Alabama. I'm sorry, well, Mississippi, where basically between the governor and a district judge there, they're basically telling people to go back to work, you know, as of Monday, as of today. Um,
0: and and do you, do you blame the president for not providing the context that would help people understand in Mississippi, Florida, other places why they need the to do that? I blame the president.
4: I blame the president for not providing the context. I blame the president for not saying stop with this nonsense about it. it's a hoax. I mean, he'd be the last person to be saying it, well, but he, nevertheless, he's, he's it's not, time for he, him to he, say he, it. He's not
0: saying that anymore,
4: right? You know, and and also express some empathy and stop. It, I mean, the worst part of what the president has done so far among many things is this this whole thing about the fealty that must be paid to him for the great work he's doing so that any governor that criticizes him is not being grateful enough okay. i mean he literally on national tv told mike pence don't talk to the, the this horrible woman from michigan and the snake in in, in washington state governor inslee so i mean that yeah. is Unconscionable. Yeah,
0: I don't know how you get away with that. It it wasn't just, if I understand correctly, Charles, it wasn't just don't talk to those governors who I don't like because they said bad things about me or failed to say nice things about me. It wasn't just don't talk to them. It was don't bother to give them information or even equipment they need to deal with the crisis. Did I read that correctly or is that an exaggeration?
4: Well, yeah, I mean, I think there was an element of hyperbole that implied that. You know and um and obviously he has a running feud with, with with governor cuomo about how many ventilators they do or they don't need and and you know this it, you know they're
3: going to be areas that are going to be short ventilators no matter what the federal government does at this point so but
4: ben, um, back, to,
0: back to anthony fauci so uh again he's getting a lot of pushback from the trump followers the trump horde but um <laughs> But, well, push, you know, Fauci, but the thing is, Fauci doesn't care. I mean, he's well. He's, I think I think he cares. He's, he's been just,
4: doing this job for, for like forty
0: years. Yeah, but doesn't he the, care? He, I think he cares if it gets in his the way of his ability to communicate what needs to be done, and that's ha- and that's that that is happening. I mean, you just you just cited Florida, and Mississippi as places where they're not doing what they're supposed to do. Yeah,
4: and but so, I'm not sure Fauci could do anything differently other than the only thing that would 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 that he would want would be for the president to tell governors. In these high-risk states that they need to do to do this at this point you know um i mean he, he certainly has no problem the president with ad hominem attacks you know and it's, it's about time that he, he tells you know DeSantis down in florida you've got an elderly population which is already overtaxing your hospitals just on the basic problem of their of their ailments you know their baseline ailments you can't Handle You're, You are the next New York and probably worse because the nature of the, um, of, the of the people who are going to get sick there are they are the high-risk people to, yeah. to die. So let me ask you, that. Do, do,
0: do you think Trump himself has problems with Fauci? Or are they... Are, 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 are
4: I'm they... sure he does, but I think the, the biggest problem he has is that Fauci really doesn't care. There's <laughs> nothing Trump can do to Fauci. He doesn't care, you know, whether or not... He gets bad tweets.
2: Right, but he... You know, and and Trump, I think that
4: really... That galls Trump more than anything else. So
0: who is... Who's, who's, I mean, Fauci's been there forever. What, 40 right. years? But who ultimately... Who, who puts him in that position of, of influence? How did he get that job? He,
4: uh, he, you know, he's in the civil service. I mean, he just rose through the ranks.
0: Okay. But who... Uh, um, there's a board or... Or some entity, or Congress, somebody has some say, in who gets no, to be not, in No, he's not a political. He's not a political appointee. Okay, so who is who is the one who appoints him?
4: No, no, he, 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 It's just like you know, it's like in all the agencies, there are there the civil service. You know, there are evaluations that positions come open. These people are moved up based on decisions that are made. You know, in in a relatively non-subjective way. I mean, it's always subjective. Right.
0: But but, I'm, just, but, I'm just I'm just i wondering who gets to fire a a person in that position of power if they aren't doing their job. Well, he could he I guess the um the head of
4: the head of most of these agencies are political appointees. So Trump okay. could Right. Yeah you know, That's you know, my point no I guess is head that, of the NIH you're gonna have to fire. Him.
0: That that's my point. There is a way that Trump could get to him and get him out of there yeah, if Trump it, wants it's to. Just, it's just not going to happen. Well, I Trump's mean, really he's fond told... of—he's really fond of firing people. I
4: understand that, but it, that, he, at, at this point, it, it, even Trump, I think, understands it, it would be—you uh, know—a disaster. You know, and that uh, Fauci is seen as a a calm and comforting element, and uh, and not as much of a syncophant as Burks and therefore is trusted. You know, and it's going to be very hard as things move forward because eventually red state America is going to get hit, perhaps not to the same degree as the coast because population density is different and we're moving into a more warm season. So that may damp down, you know, we may be seeing that already here in in Iowa, which is that we're probably three to four weeks from our peak, but we're really not seeing that much ramping up. I'm not saying we're not going to see elements of what we've seen elsewhere, but um, uh, we may be fortunate by pushing it into April and May we're putting it into the season when these respiratory viruses tend to wane. We tend don't to, know but for again, sure that this a, one will.
0: Yeah, exactly. We're not really sure. This is a, a new creature. That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Okay. And, so yep. uh, I guess back back to Fauci, my point is that if, if Trump really wants him gone, Trump has a way to accomplish that.
4: Yeah, I just don't see that as having any value. You know, I mean he could just tell him don't be there. Trump you does. Know, Trump,
0: Trump, Trump does a lot of things that make no sense. That have no value. You yeah. Know, if somebody gets under the, under his skin, that's his standard go-to mechanism: is to tell them they're fired.
4: Yeah. No. I mean, I think he would have done it already if he was going to do it. I okay. just don't. You know, I just don't think it it'd be a really propitious time for him to fire Fauci because, okay. um, it it, you know, there there are swing states with people who do actually. You know,
0: not listen to Fox News. Well, he uh, um, Fauci might have committed the ultimate sin when he appeared on the Trevor Noah show. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Charles, I got I got to run to a short break here. Um, when we come back, you mentioned the governors of uh, Michigan and and, uh, and Wisconsin and how they were basically told to you know, I mean, told told by Trump that they weren't going to get fair treatment, and uh, we've seen other. Other entities taking advantage of this coronavirus crisis and one right here in Iowa, our own governor. We'll talk about that, folks, when we come back from a short break here on the Fallon Forum. When it's time to entertain, think of Gateway Market to handle all the details. Gateway offers a wide variety of stress-free options like cut-to-order cheese and charcuterie, a delicious olive bar, and a wide variety of chef-prepared dips and spreads or let Gateway's catering team take care of the entire event, right down to the wine and beer pairings. Gateway's expert floral designers can even customize the perfect centerpieces. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more information. Gateway Market, good food, great
3: entertaining. Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, Well, maybe not an elephant. If you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's work history is long and deep, and her clients stick with her year after year because they know she will do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks to, again, our local business partners here in the Des Moines metro, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, my grocery store, and yeah, I'm glad they remain open as a full-service grocery store. Also, thanks to their uh, food delivery service, Uh, their breakfast, lunch, and supper options are still available. You can do takeout at Gateway. They've also got a catering service, of course, and that's that's pretty much always takeout. That's uh, Gateway Marketing Cafe. And thanks to Birds and Bees Urban Farm in the heart of Des Moines' Sherman Hill neighborhood where you can take classes and learn how to turn your yard into dinner. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. Okay, welcome back to the uh, conversation here, folks. Later in the program, Dr. Kim Holding joining us to talk about how the coronavirus is affecting the veterinary profession. But uh, first, I'm going to go to the phone line here and uh, welcome uh, my, my vegan doctor friend, Dr. Charles Goldman, to the show. Yeah, how's it going, Ed? That's going good, doctor. Uh, so, um, I mean, there's so many different things to talk about, but I, I we gotta, I gotta take a look at what's happening here in Iowa with, uh, Governor Reynolds. It really bothers me when somebody takes advantage of this crisis. And we saw that with the, uh, the guy who thought he would buy up all the hand sanitizer and then charge ridiculous amounts of money for it. Well, he got busted, right?
4: Well, he got shamed. Yeah. I mean, he got the shamed. story came busted. out. Yeah. The story came out and uh he, he eventually donated um the all the hand sanitizer he bought up um to uh you know public use uh yeah. gratu- you know for but,
0: but some people some people know no shame and uh, of course uh, governor kim reynolds is an outspoken uh, opponent of abortion uh, at, at any uh, completely she would love to just ban it completely and we had that i mean the legislature passed that law Uh, A couple years ago and she signed it and uh, then the the courts overturned it. But now we have her again I think taking advantage of this crisis by describing abortion classifying abortion as an elective surgery and prohibiting any quote elective surgeries at this time. And I I, I'm thinking how you how do you put abortion into the same category as for example a knee replacement or hip surgery I, I just, it, just, it just amazes and appalls me that she could take advantage of this crisis in such a callous and insensitive way. And, of course, not surprisingly, the ACLU and Iowa Planned Parenthood Association and the Emma Goldman Clinic have all joined forces to file a lawsuit. So,
4: Well, I mean, the first thing I would say is, you know, uh, Governor Reynolds is not the only one who did this. Right. Um, point. There are lawsuits in Texas. There are lawsuits in Ohio. Um, and, and I assume all of the you know, sudden states between uh, Texas and South Carolina um, that have gone the same route so the, the question is what is the rationale for deeming something not necessary to be done in this immediate time frame because your concern is twofold one is the, the result of the procedure potentially going to lead to ICU resources being taken by something that doesn't necessarily have to, uh, you know, have that happen. The other is how much of potential, you know, personal protective equipment or masks, gloves, gowns, um, having, you know, uh, the anesthesia machines tied up because one of the, one of the, what the Workarounds for not having enough ventilators is in, in certain of these patients, potentially the COVID patients here, we could use the ventilators, the respirators on the anesthesia machines. They're not highly sophisticated, uh-huh. but they are usable as ventilators.
0: Okay, so. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, I get what she's talking about, elective surgeries, but how is, how is a, an abortion an elective surgery? You, it, you know, it's, it's not something you can put off. If that's your decision, your choice, why I mean I don't understand how I don't see how the I don't see how Planned Parenthood and the ACLU ACLU lose on this one I don't see how they can possibly I don't see, I don't see how any court no matter how extreme well maybe I shouldn't say that but I can't imagine the Iowa Supreme Court not agreeing with the ACLU and Planned Parenthood on this well I think
4: I think the the case it can certainly be made for medication abortions that, the risk of involving a, um, a hospital at all is extraordinarily small. Um, the, you can sometimes with medication-induced abortions get uh, continuing bleeding such that you would need not an ICU bed but a hospital bed and you would need to potentially transfuse patients, although these are generally younger women who can tolerate lower blood counts without needing transfusion. And there is no question that transfusion um, resources are waning because people are not donating blood. So, but the risk of that is extremely low; it's right. well below five percent that you would not have any problem with the medication induced right. abortion. Right. Now, you know, an operative abortion there's a higher risk of involvement of, at the hospital, but once again, the likelihood of the need for um, you know, of the need for ICU resources would be extremely low, but you would be using up a certain amount of personal protective equipment to perform that procedure. Right. So um, I would say that that the, the specific singling out of this procedure, because really all of these, these edicts have basically left it up to the hospitals and the physicians to, out what is elective because a lot of things in other areas are not so clear with cancer related operations which I'm giving a lecture on on Thursday it's just not really it's not as clear as you would think about what's elective and what's not right you know what's the consequence of, of leaving a tumor in place you know sure um so but a then, lot then, of these then, things that, that should be like are in a gray area but, I, but,
0: you, but, but you know there should a doctor to decide not not the governor right a doctor well and a I, I
4: I, I would say, I would say yes. I mean, it is, it is, it, it is a decision between physician, patient, yes. and at this point also systems in general to, um, you know, to, to decide how much it, what is likely to happen. Uh, clearly, the reason it was it was you know it was not mentioned by Governor Reynolds in that press conference it was two hours later when it, it came up.
0: Well, it was late on a Friday that, afternoon. Right. Surprise, That's surprise. You know, when you want yeah. to bury news, you know.
4: so, yeah Yeah. Um, so, I, I would agree with you. I think if it does get to the court, then I would suspect they would look at the fact that it seemed to be the only thing specifically mentioned as not to be done as, no, it's not unique from other considerations for other things that they didn't mention.
0: But it's not the only example of uh, of favoritism being shown by politicians uh, to take, I mean, taking advantage of this crisis. Uh, Hobby Lobby, for example, a a notable corporation in terms of its discrimination against the LGBT community. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and also, I mean, and, 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 other, and other offenses against uh, constituency groups that tend to favor Democrats. And here, and here you have the governor specifically saying that among all these businesses that have to be closed, Hobby Lobby is OK. They can stay open. Hobby Lobby is an essential service. I mean, just the name Hobby Lobby implies non-essential service. I mean, what do you make of things like that?
4: i i can't i can't ra- you know find a rationale for why hobby lobby is an essential central uh central place to right.
0: keep open. i'd love to be able to ask that question directly to kim reynolds you know, yeah, but i but, mean but do you have trump I, also? I, wasn't, I wasn't even aware that
4: was the case i mean you know it, it, as i told you there's only so much news i can digest <laughs> yeah
0: i know i know you you know, and me, you and me but both I, I
4: yeah i don't consider hobby in the central uh store to stay open okay you right. know and um you know, you have this argument with that church that held, uh, you know, maybe it's Alabama, Mississippi that held services, and you know, and the minister for this this evangelical church said, "I see the church as absolutely essential to what's going on right
0: now." Is he the one that ended you know? up getting coronavirus and dying? No,
4: no, no, that was that was somebody else. Okay. That was a that was a, an evangelical who was one of the first ones to come out in in uh, support of Trump a long time ago, right, right. and and then of course was echoing. You know, how about if, if you're a parent
0: uh, who sends their child to Liberty University? Right, Jerry, you know, Fall, Jerry Falwell's company. Our, our company right, yes.
4: exactly. They're, they're going to prove that this
0: is this is a hoax. Well, you and, know, and now but, they have a very high rate of infection there.
4: Well, of course they are. I mean, it, it, it's a given they're going to get a high rate of infection. Yeah. Um, so what do, so
0: you, how do you, what do you say to things like, uh, I mean, uh, President Trump uh, uh, basically canceling EPA regulations because they get in the way of things we need to do to to move forward in the coronavirus crisis, I mean that's just blatant opportunism. That's, a, that's well, just... of course it is. Yeah, and, and but the the problem is he might get away with it, you know. And then
4: it's... well, let me let me let me let me put it this way: if it, it, I think the American people need to take a look at how corporations have responded to this crisis, take a look. I mean, I'll give you an example. Okay, so Cheesecake Factory, right?
0: Right. That's have enough service
4: doesn't have enough money on hand to be able to pay one month's rent on its stores around the country. How can that be? You know why it is? Because what did people, what have all these corporations done with the money? Have they taken care of their workers? No. But do they do the most basic thing? What do they tell families to do? Have an emergency fund of six months of your earnings, right? so Cheesecake Factory, publicly traded corporation has no money on hand to be able to pay the rent. On their restaurant because you know what they're busy doing they're like number two in buybacks of their stock right so they spent all the profits on buybacks of the stock which benefit whom one or two percent of the people in this country and the executives of the corporation and now they mm-hmm. don't have the money to pay the rent on their restaurants that is capitalism in this country okay. this is what they have been doing
0: that's what Mitt Romney called all the crony capitalism
4: it's, it's crony capitalism, this is, this is, and these are the geniuses, right? Brightest, the brightest guys, brightest women in the room, right? Just like Enron, yeah. <laughs> so now they have a company that can't pay rent on their restaurants. And who are they going to come to? Who do you think is going to get money out of the slush fund that the President Trump and, and Secretary Mnuchin have access to? Well,
1: we're, Companies we're
0: not, like this? We're not all getting $6,000. If you divide it evenly, I guess we get 6000 6, bucks a piece.
4: Yeah, but what I'm saying is this is what Americans need to understand. Yeah. This is why there were people running corporations and finance houses saying, yeah, the president's right, we've got to get everybody back to work. You know, the recession is worse than, than, than you know trying to keep this, this uh, contagion in check. Yeah. You know, that's how they think.
0: Well, there, stop, there, were, there, there have been more
4: Stop emulating there. and stop revering the rich in this country. They don't care about anything. As I told you, if you go down the streets of New York now, down Fifth Avenue in Midtown, and you look at the apartment buildings where all the wealthy people are living in New York, the lights are off because they left. They went to the Hamptons. They went down to Delaware. They went down to their beach house in the Carolinas. They flew out to Arizona. Okay. Okay? Yeah.
0: So That's if if we, if we, if we quarantine New York, we're quarantining the poor and the working class? For the most part, yeah. yeah. I mean, was that, exactly right. was that a serious proposal to put uh, a, a, a quarantine around the whole you know, metropolitan area?
4: I, I mean, it, I'm, I'm sure that the president had watched Escape from New York the night before. So, you know, um, in, in his mind, I guess it was something doable. Of course it's not doable.
0: He probably just watched the trailer.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, I would agree that they should have they should have absolutely have closed down flights from New York two weeks ago sure there's no reason to allowing people to leave knowing full well they're going to take it with them to wherever they go right you know that is absolutely true but the idea of a cordon around Connecticut New Jersey and New York is just right. not it's, it's right. not going to happen
0: right. that, that is interesting I, I did not know that the the wealthy have fled uh, oh, yeah. in New York City but I guess I oh yeah the, they were
4: the first out yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Well, again, it bothers me no end that there are politicians and and, and and business leaders who are just willing to take every sort of advantage of this um, of this situation. Again, with that two trillion dollar stimulus. Uh, again, I'm not the brightest bulb in the uh, in the uh, socket when it comes to math. But again, if you divide it up uh, two trillion among the 327 what point two million people who live in the U.S., that's roughly six thousand plus dollars per person. Uh, but we're getting 1,200. And so yeah. my my I, I believe that's about twenty percent of the overall two trillion. So what's happening to the other eighty percent? Well, some of that might be good, but I can guarantee you there will be lots of slush in that. Lots of, of I mean may, may, maybe maybe cheese Cheesecake Cheesecake Factory is going to have its rent paid for who knows how many months in advance.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: And
4: and you know again are they going to pay it back? Or so maybe they'll pay it back in it kind.
0: Maybe they'll pay it back in kind with cheesecake. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Charles, I appreciate you taking the time to join us. I know you've got to be pretty busy as well.
4: We are. I mean, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of preparation for what we hope won't be anywhere near as bad as what we might have thought a couple of weeks ago. But, yeah. we'll, you know, we'll, time will tell.
0: Well, people are taking it seriously, here in Iowa, at least.
4: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that mm-hmm. that is a real, um, you know, compliment to the people of Iowa. I agree. The vast yeah. majority of people are taking it seriously, and they're doing what's asked.
0: Again, thanks for joining us, uh, folks. We've been talking with Dr. Charles Goldman. When we come back from a short break, uh, Dr. Kim Holding is going to join us. We'll talk about how the coronavirus is affecting the veterinary, and veterinary profession. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned source for specialty groceries. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, specialty cheeses, and hand-selected wines and craft beer. Visit the Lively Cafe for breakfast, lunch, and dinner seven days a week. Gateway Market is centrally located on the corner of Martin Luther King Jr. Parkway and Woodland Avenue. Stop by or visit www.gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food. Great community.
3: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa Farms and Iowa Producers.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum for our final segment. Ed Fallon here with you. A quick shout out to some of our business partners in the Des Moines metro. Again, thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store and remains open for takeout service. They still are serving breakfast, lunch, and supper. Give them a shout and they'll make sure they have it ready for you. Uh, Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant and Ritual Cafe. Again, both fine establishments that are still continuing to serve takeout. That's Ritual Cafe and Hawk Restaurant in the East Village. All right, welcome back to the program. So uh, there's been a little conversation about a, an issue that's very, very important to me, and that is food. How does the coronavirus crisis affect our food supply? And with me to talk about that and also to talk about how it affects veterinarians is uh, Dr. Kim Holding. Hello, Kim. Welcome to the program.
1: Hi, Ed. How are you doing?
0: Good. So, um, yeah, there hasn't been a lot of conversation about, about that. So how does it affect our food production and food source?
1: Well, our food all gets to us by people who work through the the supply chain. So from the producer to the processor to the trucker to the retailer, we have humans involved at every turn, um, all of which who can get coronavirus, all of which could carry coronavirus. So there's a certain amount of risk at each turn that we can be exposed.
0: Right, and I'm sure, I mean, again, to be clear, there's no transmission of human to animal or animal to human, but the problem is having enough people to continue operating the production systems. Is that right?
1: Correct. Animals get forms of coronaviruses, but not the human form that we're currently seeing at this point in time. Now viruses can mutate and and that could be something in the future if it mutates again, but at this point there have been, that I'm aware of, no human to animal or animal to human transmission.
0: Very clever these uh, little viruses knowing how to mutate at just the right moment.
1: Well many animals over time have changed and as we've introduced chemicals to control weeds, for instance, we've developed resistant weeds as we've introduced drugs to control infection. We've developed, you know, animals that are resistant to the infection. So uh, this is not new in in biology at all.
0: And so so people understand a bit uh, some of the various elements involved in getting food from field to table. Uh, Obviously, we've got farmers raising food, and in Iowa, we have more and more farmers who are doing direct marketing. And that's an issue. That's a problem because uh, I, I assume this is the case with many farmers markets, but the downtown Des Moines farmers market, which is a huge event, 20 to 40,000 people every Saturday, that's not happening. So that's one opportunity for sale that's not available. I do know that the Iowa Food Co-op saw, I believe, what I heard, I haven't verified this, but what I've heard is that they had you know, a, a record sale of volume uh, the uh, last week or the week before, whenever that, that, uh, that pickup occurred. So um, there, are, there are, I mean, some of the, some of the marketing options are, are being affected as well. Now, I wonder, is that, is that also the case with um, some of the larger grain producers, some of the meat producers? Or, you know, is it likely that processing plants and grain elevators will continue to have enough staff to keep them operative?
1: Well, most of the corn, for instance, that's grown in Iowa is used as animal feed, so it's not going to be a problem in terms of human exposure, but all of the farm commodities that we use for human food have a shelf life of some extent, whether it's refrigerated, frozen, or or fresh. They're, they can't just Put it on the back shelf and, and ignore right. it like we can mortar or clothing or, or, or something to- or, like
0: or, that. Or, or toilet paper.
1: Right. <laughs> I mean, so farm commodities all have to keep moving or they disintegrate and become worthless. Um, right. And this is going to be a problem for everybody in the chain, depending on where we run into a problem.
0: Now, again, and one thing that one, one, uh, concern I haven't seen discussed is that, uh, and I know there are various opinions about ethanol uh, and corn-based ethanol in particular, but uh, Iowa's economy, Iowa's farmers are pretty dependent upon uh, uh, ethanol. I mean, you mentioned that a lot of our corn goes to feed, and that's certainly true, but a big chunk of it, I want to say about 40%, maybe more, goes to fueling uh, cars through ethanol. And uh, I imagine that's as right. people are... are driving less, which again, in my my opinion, has some very beneficial impacts in terms of air quality and climate change, but you've also got probably a smaller demand for ethanol at that point, and that might at some point impact Iowa farmers.
1: That's true, and as the price for, for gasoline has fallen dramatically, then they either have to drop the price for ethanol to keep it competitive or put less ethanol in the gasoline because they can't afford to
0: include that in the mix right let me switch ge- gears for a minute here uh, kim uh, folks uh, if you don't know uh, dr kim holding she's uh, the uh, he, the the lead or probably the sole proprietor at the uh, story county veterinary clinic which has been around for what 30 plus years
1: close to 30 years
0: okay so so you've seen a few critters come and go and i'm wondering how does the coronavirus situation affect the uh, you, you know your practice other veterinarians And also folks who have an animal that might have a health problem. Uh, We're told that only essential services can stay open and that people aren't supposed to be venturing out unless they absolutely have to. And so you've got a pet that's a little sick. Um, I mean, maybe you, maybe you're supposed to stay at home and try to rough it out. Uh, Maybe your pet has a different opinion. What do you think should be the right, uh, the right course of action here? What, What should we be aware of in terms of the crisis's impact on veterinarians and our pets?
1: Um, we've kept fairly busy right now. Our concern is that as people are laid off and don't have income, they they'll, won't they'll be able to afford to take care of their pets. And the problem is, again, you have a shelf life there. I mean, if, if you have vaccines that are due or or procedures that need to be done or an animal is sick you can't just ignore it because it's either going to get worse or your pet's going to die and they're suffering in the plane This becomes um, a concern for the animal's welfare and well-being as well as the humans if they have a disease like rabies or certain skin diseases E. coli, salmonella left untreated or left unvaccinated this is a potential human health concern as well as the animal welfare issues
0: right yeah so but so far you haven't seen any impact in terms of your your own clientele your own customer flow
1: we've been able to keep fairly busy um it's down a little bit um mm-hmm. uh, but we do a lot of Spay and neuter on barn cats, for instance. And if you've got a cat that you don't want to have more kittens, you've got to get her fixed if she's a feral cat, you know. So they're going through, and some of those are rescue groups that have at least some cash reserves at this point to pay their overhead or Mm -hmm. operating expenses. And that's, Um, uh, I mean,
0: there's a fairly small window of opportunity for a a spay or neuter. I mean, unless you want to. Wait till there's been a litter or two. You've got you've got to get that uh, procedure accomplished pretty quickly.
1: Right, and if yeah. you have a cat that has a litter or two of kittens, then you've undone a whole lot of work trying to curb the population growth. Now I know Yesterday, some... go ahead. Okay. Yesterday we did an emergency surgery on a dog that, um, had we not intervened, would have died. And they actually had scheduled to put the dog to sleep because they couldn't afford the surgical price that they were quoted at one of the emergency clinics. Um, So this, this is going to be a concern as we move forward is, you know, what are procedures costing and what can people afford? And you've got to pay your lights. You've got to buy your toilet paper. You've got to buy your gas. And if you can't do those things, you're not going to do optional procedures on on your pets, or even to some extent your farm animals.
0: Right. Yeah. And you, uh, you, what, what percentage of your critter clientele is pets versus farm animals?
1: At this point, it's mostly uh, pets. There's not the problem with the farm animals is the farms that years ago had a lot of livestock don't have livestock anymore and a lot of those farms have been eaten up by other farms that that are strictly grain production so the farmsteads are gone uh the 80 acres and 160 and 320 acre farms have been swallowed swallowed up and made into 4 and 5000 acre farms yeah and,
0: i was i was at a cafe in uh, Allison up in Butler County a few years back and i remember uh, talking to a couple young guys who um were there. They were a construction team from Minnesota who had come down to help build some hog confinements owned by one of the big operators. I can't remember. It might have been Iowa Select, uh, which is an Iowa company, but it's headquartered in West Des Moines, although most of their buildings, as you know, up there in North Central Iowa. But they said, you know, yeah, well, they just hire us to come down from Minnesota. So there's an, there's an example of a, of a farm operation that used to par- probably hire local contractors to build a barn or or, or whatever they would be constructing now being brought in from out of state. And I also learned that from that conversation that um, the uh, local veterinarian who used to, uh, you know, see a lot of uh, local farmers was no longer was no, I mean, he, he, he pretty much put him out of business because this big company now just flew in uh, their veterinarian from some other state. And uh, that, that, uh, that person serviced uh, these confinements and then left. So I I imagine that that's uh, I can, I can see why that more of your business is pets and less, less is farm animals, Uh, but back back to the coronavirus situation. So, um, you've got, uh, the trajectory is that we're still two or three weeks out from peak and we really are learning more and more about this all the time. It's hard to know exactly where this is going to go. But so, you know, the thing that the scenarios you're describing about people having, tough choices to make between bare essentials and, you know, shots for a pet, a, a, a spay, a neuter, a, some, a vaccine. Um, you know, that's that's part of the whole ripple effect that, that, that's coming from this where, you know, eventually every element of the economy, and I think especially the smaller operators, they're going to start feeling the, the pain of this. That's my Oh, take. yeah, the
1: economic, the economic ramifications and even the emotional ramifications. Right now, if you have a dying relative in a nursing home, you may not be able to spend their last minutes or hours with somebody from the family present. Um, you know, it's, and it's heartbreaking to see people that are having to put their lives on hold because of quarantine and, and restricted movement issues.
0: Yeah. Well, Kim, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Uh, we'll have to check back with you, uh, in a month or so and see how things are going and see, uh, see if there's any information you've got that people ought to know. And uh, bottom line is uh, people just need to be aware of all the different ways that this crisis affects all of us. So, again, thanks for joining us, uh, Kim. Appreciate your time.
1: You bet. Thanks
0: for having me. All right, folks. So we've been talking with Kim Holding. She's the proprietor at Story County Veterinary Clinic in Story County. This is Ed Fallon, your host here on the Fallon Forum. Thanks to our production team of Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina, Thanks to the stations in Iowa and around the country to rebroadcast this program. And again, we're, we're, every, uh, we're a weekly show. You can always find it on the Fallon Forum web, web, uh, website. That's fallonforum.com.